0: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
1: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. This morning, we have a special guest, a woman we love having on Leading Conversations. She's been with us before, Lynn Twist. Lynn is a global activist. She's a fundraiser extraordinaire, I might say. She's a consultant. Her book is The Soul of Money, Reclaiming the Wealth of Our Inner Resources. She's the founder of the Soul of Money Institute, and most recently in the last few years, her big project and love as co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance. And we're gonna hear a lot about that today. Lynn, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's a delight to be with you.
1: Again. Thank you. To be here again. So where are you today?
2: I'm in my home, which is such a treat for me. I mean, you know, most people are in their home all the time, but for me it's kind of fun (laughs) to be home. I travel a great deal.
1: You do travel a great deal and um, you you call the Bay Area in California your home, do you not?
2: I do, yes, yeah, San Francisco.
1: Oh, wonderful. What a beautiful place. So let's talk about the Pachamama Alliance. Um let's let's start with just the basics. You know, tell us what Pachamama Alliance means. Some of our listeners may not know that. And, you know, where this what's the genesis of it?
2: Well, the, first of all, the word Pachamama, which isn't familiar to everybody all the time, right. um, is a Quechua word. quichua um, uh, is the name of uh, an indigenous group that lives in the Andes and the Amazon all through South America and to some extent in Central America and even Mexico. It's the largest indigenous uh, language in the world still spoken and is pre-Incan, goes way, way back. And um, the largest number of people who speak an indigenous language speak Quechua. And the word Pachamama means Mother Earth. But to them, to indigenous peoples, and all indigenous peoples, even those who don't speak Quechua, use Pachamama as the term for Mother Earth. But for them, it means the earth, the sky, the universe, and all time. So that kind of reveals or displays the cosmology that indigenous people hold, a very large understanding of reality. And the Pachamama Alliance is an alliance between indigenous peoples of the Amazon and conscious, committed people in the modern world like you and all your listeners for the preservation and sustainability of life itself. Oh. And um, we have a twofold mission. I'll say our mission and then I'll explain how we got started. Mm-hmm. Um, We have a twofold mission, which we're working on combining into one, but it still is a twofold mission. First, uh, to preserve the Earth's tropical rainforests by empowering the indigenous people who are its natural custodians. And the second half of our mission is to contribute to the creation of a new global vision of equity, justice, and sustainability for all forms of life. And when we say all forms of life, we really do mean all children of all species for all time. So the Pachamama lines has that twofold mission, and the um, the. Uh, uh, The first part, to preserve the Earth's tropical rainforest by empowering the indigenous people who are its natural custodians, is carried out in the Amazon, in Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, Colombia, um, uh, primarily uh, with indigenous peoples who live in the border regions. And then the other part, to contribute to the creation of a new global vision of equity, justice, and sustainability for all forms of life, is carried out through education and awareness programs that are worldwide. So that's kind of the big picture, and then I can tell you how it all got started if you want me to go there.
1: Yes, please.
2: (laughs) Okay. Um, So the Pachamama Alliance has a very, very beautiful and mystical origin, and there's many origin stories. Everyone who kind of gets involved has their own origin story, which is one of the wonderful things about Pachamama. But the origin story uh, uh, for the organization really comes from a whole... Um, kind of series of events that took place, uh, that happened to me. And, um, I was working on hunger and poverty in primarily in Asia and Africa, India, Bangladesh, e- Ethiopia, Botswana, Ghana, Senegal, places like that. I was involved with the Hunger Project and I was deeply, deeply committed to the work there and managing operations in. 47 countries. So I was very, very busy. And my attention, my focus, my heart and soul was engaged with sub- Sub-Saharan Africa and the subcontinent of India, Bangladesh, um, Sri Lanka, Nepal, places like that. And I had no attention on South America. I wasn't thinking about it. I was deeply engaged in my work. And through a whole series of events which I won't go into because they're a little bit too detailed, but I ended up in Guatemala to do a favor for a friend. Um, and in that um, country where I had never been before, while we were there working with his um, his organization where I was training the development director, we were invited to uh, have a session, a, a small group of us, with a local shaman. And this was in 1990. Before. I had never had a shamanic experience before, and so it was brand new to me, and I was um, led to this shamanic ceremony uh, by my colleague and friend John Perkins, who had had a lot of experience with shamans in South America. So he was kind of our guide, uh, and uh, we went to see this shaman in Guatemala, and he um, uh, he met us in the middle of the night, at midnight, at a particular place that he told us to come to, and he had built a fire outside. And there were 13 of us, and we Laid down and made a wheel around the fire uh, with our feet towards the fire, if you can picture this. Mm. And the shaman was drumming and chanting. And he didn't speak English and he didn't speak Spanish. But in this incredible ceremony where he was drumming and chanting, he was so mesmerizing and
1: so powerful that
2: all of us went into a kind of trance including myself i didn't expect to but suddenly i began to feel myself turning into a large bird a huge bird with a wingspan of probably 12 feet just a huge bird and i was flying in slow motion over a vast unending forest of green and I looked down, and I had a curved beak and very acute vision. And I could see all the way down through the treetops uh, to the forest floor and see little critters running around on the forest floor. Mm. And, um, and then ahead of me I saw a vast, unending forest of green. And then at a certain point, these disembodied faces of men with orange geometric face paint and yellow and red and black feather crowns began to float up from the forest floor through the trees towards me, the bird. And they were speaking in a strange tongue and mm-hmm. calling to the bird. And then they would disappear back into the forest and then float up again. And this went on for I don't know how long until suddenly I heard a drum beat and I realized my gosh, I'm a human being, I'm not a bird, I'm in Guatemala with all these people, Um, I sat up, um, uh, looked across the fire at the shaman, Uh, he was gazing at me and everyone, and then one by one, we told our story. Mm. And when I told that story, the shaman gave me a strange look, and then we went all the way around the circle to my friend John Perkins, who knew a lot about shamanism, had spent much time in the Amazon, and John's vision was very similar to mine. So then the shaman dismissed the other people, completed the ritual, then dismissed the other people. and told John and I that we we were not having a regular vision, not that any vision is regular, Mm -hmm. but that we were being called by a people and they were communicating to us and we needed to go to them. And so John, having lots of experience with shamanism and also spending a lot of time in the Ecuadorian Amazon, recognized the facial markings on the faces and the feather crowns and knew who was calling to us and even knew where they were and eventually he took us there uh, to the Achuar Territory in the Ecuadorian Amazon, and we had a very, very profound encounter with the Achuar who had been um, isolated for thousands of years and were ready for contact, and that was the beginning of Pachamama.
1: Well, nothing like a little... um... I don't know, drama? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to imagine myself laying there, you know, in the forest and having this amazing experience, and, um, you know, were you... Did you have any fear? Did you have joy? What was the the feeling experience?
2: Well, I think during the vision, um, I didn't really understand what was happening to me, and there's a lot of chapters that I skipped there, um, Uh, I didn't really understand uh, the gravity or magnitude of what was happening. I had had another meeting in Ghana following that trip to Guatemala and needed to go to Africa right away. And John said, "We must go. We must go. They're calling for us. I know they want us to come." I was there not long ago with the Shuar people, and they told me the Achuar people would start calling for contact. This is that we need to go and for me it was he was talking almost like you know it was like babble I didn't understand what he was talking about I, I'd never been to the Amazon I didn't understand that kind of vision so I dismissed it Um, So I wasn't afraid. I just dismissed it. That's how I handled it. But then I went to Africa.
1: (laughs) And you had a schedule to keep.
2: (laughs) I had a schedule to keep. And then I went to Africa shortly after that, and I was in a meeting in Ghana, in Accra, Ghana, which is the capital of Ghana, which is in West Africa. I'm sitting in a hotel room with uh, seven people. There were four men, sorry, eight people, five men and three women sitting around a table, Ghanaian people. And it was a board meeting for the Hunger Project, the organization for whom I worked. And um those um, eight people were having a, a board meeting and I was the only white person there and I wasn't leading it, thank goodness. I was just mm-hmm. a part of the meeting. And at a certain point in the meeting, the five men sitting around the table started to have orange geometric face paint appear on their black faces. Oh, my. And it was just shocking for me. And I looked around the table and everybody kept talking as if this was not happening. Mm-hmm. So I figured that I was tired, too much travel. I was hallucinating. That Mm -hmm. kind of weird thing that happened to me in Guatemala had taken its toll on my psychology. So I went to the ladies' room, came back, and everybody was still talking. They were normal. And then it happened again. Uh, And then I started to shake. People noticed that I was not myself. I left the meeting, apologized and said I felt very sick, which I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Went up to my room in the hotel where we were meeting packed my bag, went straight to the Accra, Ghana airport, waited for the first plane to Europe or the United States, and went home. And all the way on the plane, whether I closed my eyes or had them open, I saw the faces. Mm. So um, it became undeniable for me. And then when I got home, I told my husband Bill. We began communicating with John Perkins about it, and then we organized a trip down to Ecuador. And it was when we got down the eastern side of the Andes uh traveled down the, through the cloud forest down the Pistassa River canyon to the base of the Amazon and we took a small plane with 12 of us into Shuar territory into the Amazon and then another small plane with only 3 of us at a time into Achuar territory where mm-hmm. very few people had ever been that I started to realize oh my god what am i doing <laughs> <laughs> But then, when they appeared, and they were exactly as I'd seen them in my dreams, I knew this this was the real thing, and this was not something to try and dismiss or deny that something remarkable was happening, and it was, and that's how pachamama was born
1: you know i I am so touched by your willingness to step into something that was so unknown, you know this calling this sense of, I have no idea what this means, I just have to follow it, that takes a lot of courage. And my guess is that um, many people have experiences like this on a smaller scale. You know, they are called to do something, um, whether it is, you know, to support their community or um, to show up in a certain way with their gifts and talents to provide help in some way, and yet it's easily dismissed. Um, Yours was pretty prominent and pretty, you know, obviously very big and life-changing, and my guess is many people don't have that big of an experience, and yet the purpose of their smaller experience could be equally as impactful.
2: Well, I, I think you're completely right, Cheryl. And um, and when I look back and tell the story as I'm telling it to you and your listeners, it sounds very dramatic, and really it was. But on the other hand, uh, even my story, um, I didn't realize what was happening to me while it was happening to me. You know, I look back, and, and now it all makes sense. But when it was happening, it didn't, and I resisted it. And, um, other people had visions. You know, we all had some sort of vision in that ceremony around that fire. Uh, I could have dismissed it as a dream that I had fallen asleep. Uh, and, um, but somehow I was guided, uh, to pay attention to it, and it wouldn't go away. And I think we all have moments where, uh, something deep inside of us speaks to us. And we dismiss it. Uh, it's inconvenient. We don't have time. We got to answer our emails. <laughs> we got to go to right. the grocery store. Right. Um, uh, but if the uh, opportunity to pay attention to life's callings, life's, uh, uh, the universe's um, guidance for us, uh, starts to uh, be meaningful, um, then it, it, it's just amazing how much guidance there actually is when you are are willing to kind of turn up your hearing aid <laughs> and listen and see with those kinds of eyes. So I agree. It's uh, This happens to everyone. Although My story is pretty dramatic. I think it happens to everybody every day, and it's really a matter of paying attention.
1: Hmm. You know, um, that level of paying attention has... It seems to me it would require an awful lot um, of oh, personal work, um, a, a sense of who am I? Um, am I really connected to this thing called the universe? And you know, were you had you done a lot of that in your life? You know, did you feel like you were a, a highly spiritual person?
2: Well, I I have had been gifted by many teachers, um, some I actually call themselves teachers and other people, I just began to see that that's who they were for me. Um, and um, I took the S training in 1974, in January, I'll never forget it because it totally changed my life. Now, it's called the Landmark Education Corporation of the Landmark Forum in its next iteration. but. Um, that is an ontological training, uh, and the S training was an early version of it, right. and it just totally woke me up. Um, hmm. So that was one big part of my awakening, and right. um, and that's uh, although uh, S is is no longer around, landmark is, and and what I uh, I distinguish that from spirituality because it it is it ends up giving you a spiritual path if that's what if that's what calling to you but it's an ontological training then i had a in the hunger project had a wonderful opportunity to work directly with mother Teresa, which you know obviously is just a huge privilege Um, and then of course i worked with hungry people who are who call on the spirits to get them through the most unimaginable situations so i had many many uh, teachers and much guidance and i felt very fortunate to have that
1: Well, we have more to talk about with Lynn Twist when we come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Ready to get your business started with a flying leap? Tune in to the Startup Business Coach Show with the Startup Business Coach himself, Dr. Dwayne D. Jakes. Dr. Jakes is the author of Top 10 Fail-Proof Ways Startup Businesses Can Succeed in a Floundering Global Economy. At each program, Dr. Jakes and his guest experts will explain the concepts of organizational development and provide examples designed to maximize your ROI. The Startup Business Coach Show broadcasts live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Lynn Twist. Lynn, in the last segment, you absolutely mesmerized all of us with the story of how Pachamama Alliance um, was born. So at the time that you were having the experience um, in Ecuador, you were still in charge of the Hunger Project. And, you know, you, I mean, how did you... Do both? How did you manage to do that and, and start this thing called the Pachamama Alliance?
2: Well, first of all, I do want to say that John Perkins and my husband Bill were on that trip when we went into achuar territory for the first time and had our first encounter with the achuar people. And in a way, um, John guided us there because he had been in that region before, and Bill came with me because he had a sense that this might be meaningful for him. And when we got there, Bill was completely captivated uh, by the Achuar people, their message, um, and everything that they had to contribute to us. And so he, in a way, I think they were really looking for him, but he might not have responded the way I did. So they kind of got to him through me in a way, I think they were also communicating to me. But so Bill uh, was a businessman at the time, running two companies and very very busy himself. And I was running this giant thing called the Hunger Project, or not. Uh, there, I wasn't the president. I was, but one of the key leaders, mm-hmm. one of the executives. And so I couldn't imagine dropping everything and suddenly going to work in the Amazon. It just didn't make any sense to me at all. Right. Um, but Bill started to really see this is significant, uh, we're going to get involved in this, we're going to do something for these people, um, we, we've got to respond to what they're asking us for. And I wanted to, too, but I was just too maxed out with the Hunger Project. And then I had the blessing, I know this sounds completely crazy, but of getting malaria, Now, I don't recommend it.
1: (laughs) I don't think many people would call that a blessing.
2: (laughs) I didn't think it was a blessing at the time, I'll tell you that. And I got it from, I had two strains, one from India and one from Ethiopia at the same time. And I thought it was really, really sick, and I couldn't function. I couldn't do anything for anyone. I couldn't do anything for the ending world hunger, which was my primary commitment in life. I had children. I couldn't do anything for them. I couldn't do anything for Pachamama. I just had to get well. And um, it was about a year before I really recovered. And during that year, even though I tried to work, I really couldn't. And um, I, I think the, the reason I call it a blessing is it made me stop and think, and reconstitute my not only my health, but my understanding of my path in life. Mm. Because this thing that happened to us in the rainforest when we first went there, we realized this is not our plan for ourselves, but somehow this is our destiny to work with these people. So um, I had to really uh, almost intervene in my own life to be able to shift from a very deep and profound commitment to ending world hunger and running the Hunger Project operation in so many countries, particularly the fundraising, to suddenly being in the Amazon where I didn't speak Spanish, I didn't know anything about the environment, I wasn't even thinking about the rainforest. So it was a kind of a real shocking shift. At the same time, it was my destiny, and I now realize that completely, and uh, it took a year. Of illness, really, and not being able to, like, you know, there were days that I couldn't sit up. Uh, and when you have that kind of downtime, even though you're suffering, your mind is still cranking away. Right. Your being is still looking for why is this happening to me. You're, you're still a conscious being, and it was just what I needed to make this huge life transition. Uh, and the shamans in Ecuador had told me they, you know, when I was diagnosed by doctors, no one could find the malaria. They, I was tested for it six times before I got a positive response. So I kept thinking, this is what I have. It feels like what I've seen people have working in mm-hmm. India and Bangladesh. But I, it kept coming up negative. And then I made another trip to Ecuador with Bill and uh, saw one of the shamans because I was so sick. And he said... He said, the boundary between myself and the other was gone, and I had become the people I was serving. I had their diseases, I was malnourished, and I needed to reconstitute who I was and regain my own boundaries uh, because my empathy had um, dissolved the boundary between myself and the other. Um, and that I was so deeply engaged in this mission of ending world hunger that I'd lost my own selfhood. And um, malaria is a parasite, so it inhabits you. And, uh, And so it was a perfect metaphor for what I needed to do to transition, really, to reconstitute myself and then choose my future rather than be uh, swept away. And um, so i that's why I call the malaria a blessing. And I i also, um, it helped me to um, kind of understand that often life, and I don't know if this is true for every single person, but often life brings you exactly what you need to make a transition, and often it's an illness. Right. Um, I, I know many people who have had cancer, many women who have had breast cancer and made it through and it's completely and totally ended up being the transition mm. that shifted them into a new level of selfhood, understanding the preciousness of life, uh, becoming a woman who knows who she is, mm. et cetera. And I know it happens to men too. So I'm, sure. I'm, I'm also grateful that I went through that personally. Uh, and you know, of course, when I was sick, I was so sick, I just wanted everything to, you know, go, everyone and everything yeah. to go away. But. I look back on it now as we can so so well in retrospect and i'm and i 'm grateful
1: hmm. you know that makes me it brings a question up for me around um, our society, i think especially in the west um, you know how how did we move so far away from um, i mean you you described the the people of Ecuador, and, and well, actually, all indigenous peoples, as natural custodians of the earth. And then I think about our society today and how we seem so far removed from that, especially those of us in the West. And as you say, it takes some life altering situation like a major disease to get our attention. How Do you have any sense of how we move so far away from that in such a short amount of time?
2: Well, that's such a wonderful question. That's almost like a setup for me to talk about the symposium. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so um, I'll, I'll just say that one of the programs of the Pachamama Alliance uh, that came from our very first encounter with the Achuar people in the Amazon um, is called the Awakening the Dreamer Symposium. And that name, Awakening the Dreamer Symposium, Comes from our first encounter with the when they said, "We called you here. We're grateful you came." And they they said this, which which has become a famous indigenous quote: "If you're coming to help us, don't waste your time. If you're coming because you know your liberation is bound up with ours, then let's work together." And um, what their that statement such a powerful ethic that's at the heart of the Pachamama Alliance, and we know we have so much to learn from them. And then the next kind of major communication that we received from them in that first encounter was that, thank you for helping us here, but here's the real work. What's putting pressure on these forests, on all the ecosystems, and is becoming a nightmare for you and your form of life and all forms of life is the dream that you're caught in. You're caught in a dream that is uh, like a trance, uh, the trance of the modern world. consumption, more is better. Uh, money is the be-all, end-all, uh, more of this, more of that. Um, a commercial society that's really lost its soul, you could say, is the dream. They see we're caught in, and they're not caught in it. Um, they live a very different way. They have their own problems. They're not perfect at all either, but they're not caught in the dream. They they have a very, very healthy relationship with other species, with all forms of life, and the endurance of uh, and sustainability of life itself, whereas we've lost that and are caught in what they call a trance. And as they said, your dream is becoming a nightmare for you and for all forms of life. We knew exactly what they meant, but we didn't know how to how to change the dream, which is right. what their assignment was, change the dream of the modern world. If someone said that to you, you wouldn't really know exactly how to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, daunting task there. Daunting. So after really thinking about it and working it through and knowing that this mandate or this request, invitation, but really it was a mandate, change the dream of the modern world, was something that we really had to take seriously, we began to invent a edu- an educational program which is the Awakening the Dreamer Symposium. And it's a four- to five- to six-hour program. It depends on who's delivering it and how many people are there. But only one day, and only really half of one day, although it can be broken up and spread over several days, where we unpack the environmental crisis, the social justice crisis, the environmental crisis, and the spiritual crisis and show that they all come from the same root, a crisis in our consciousness. And this is exactly the answer to your question that you asked me uh, how did we get this far afield? We live in a whole set uh, of unconscious, unexamined assumptions that we don't even know we have. And I'll give you an example. So, for example, when we use the phrase or have the thought, I'm going to throw something away. Oh, yeah. Where is a way?
1: Right.
2: There is no such place. And now we really know that. But for centuries, we thought there was an away. Right. That things would just disappear, but they don't. And so now we realize there's no away. You can't throw something away, you can relocate it, but it exists still. And so. That's an unconscious, unexamined assumption. Another one is more is better. It's an unconscious, unexamined assumption in our culture that progress is more. Growth is an imperative. These are unconscious, unexamined assumptions that we haven't looked at in centuries, and now we actually need to rethink them. And so we're not, we're not flawed as a species. We're confused. We're mistaken. We've lost our way, and we can turn the tide. And that's exactly what the Pachamama Alliance Awakening the Dreamer program, which has the symposium as its heart, is designed to do to wake people up, to have them see, unpack those unconscious, unexamined assumptions see the possibility of our time and step into the beauty of our time in a way that they can heal themselves and the world and we can have a sustainable future for all life
1: Hmm. you know we um, interviewed Gary Hirschberg, who's the CEO of of, um, Stonyfield Farms and he uh, talked about he's very passionate about this as well and talked about how we have to change Um, everything we do, and it has to start with individuals, and he's taken a two-pronged approach, you know, running a very healthy business for the planet and for people, and um, also trying to teach leaders of huge corporations um, how they can make money and do well. And as I'm listening to you, my question that comes up is, so are you looking at reawakening the individual? Or are you trying to focus on shifting the behaviors of large multinational corporations?
2: Well, what a wonderful question. That's a big question. Yes and yes. <laughs> and I don't mean just we, Bajamama, but I think the whole world is. Um you know, the 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 mission of the symposium is to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling and socially just human presence on this planet. And that's a very inspiring mission and it is the symposium is is designed to wake people up. And, um, and whether they're an individual who's, you know, running a household in, in Yonkers, or they're the CEO of a huge company. Um, or they're the human resource director for mcdonald's it's designed to wake people up in a way that they start to see the possibility of living at a time when we can live the most meaningful lives any generation of humankind has ever lived and all of the systems that were caught in the systems and structures that were caught in are rooted in these unconscious unexamined assumptions so it we actually need to wake up as individuals we need to wake up as companies and we need to wake up as churches we need to wake up, As institutions, we need to wake up across the board, and we need to do it fast. Um, the time that we have is dwindling, and there's a window. And uh, At some point, I'll say something about our global media campaign four years ago, which mm-hmm. kind of points to this. Right. But yes is the answer to your question. It, 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 every aspect of our culture needs to wake up, and the Pachamama Alliance, along with Millions of other organizations. There's millions of organizations working on this. Two million of them now um, is working to do exactly that.
1: You know, I mean, as you say that, it gives me so much hope. And yet, every day I look around, and it feels like you know, there just isn't much progress. You know, and, and and yet I'm I'm getting this sense that there's more going on than we than is visible, than we can feel on a daily basis. How do we get people connected into this um, the, the momentum that is emerging?
2: Well, I love that question. Oh, my God, you're just the best interviewer ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, there is so much happening. But the media is addicted to negative press. I'm sure you've noticed that you yes. cannot read the paper and practically, you know, eat your breakfast. It's so depressing. Um, we have a, a a kind of a lens, a media lens. Television is all violent. Movies are violent and are all about serial killers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Even even documentaries um, often tell all about the problem, but don't tell you about the solution. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it it's it's. So much more, there's so much more going on than people have any clue about. And so part of the job now is to make sure the progress, the good news, the territory that's being taken, the millions of people that are at work, as I said, the more than 2 million organizations that actually you can name who are working on turning the tide, uh, become more and more visible to all of us so that we can feel the momentum we're part of. I want to make sure I don't take too much time answering your question um, because I'd like to get into the Four Years Go campaign, which, which kind of is the answer to what you just asked. Should I launch into that right now? Well, why
1: don't we take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Four Years Go.
2: Great.
0: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. You want to know the inside scoop on how today's leaders do business?
1: How they hire and develop top talent? How do they retain top employees and customers? Tune in to Leadership Leverage on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, Dr. Robert Denker will offer ideals and facilitate discussion with guests that will help shape today's up-and-coming leaders as well as established leaders in their fields. Listen for Leadership Leverage every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice
0: America Business. If you think you've seen online TV before... Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: And welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Lynn Twist today, author of The Soul of Money, Reclaiming the Wealth of Our Inner Resources, and co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance. So, Lynn, let's talk about this initiative that um, you and the Pachamama Alliance have created called Four Years Go. What is it?
2: Well, Four Years Go is a is really... Uh, Uh, a global media campaign, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about how it it got born because it it kind of is such a beautiful story. Um, This work we do in the Amazon, as I was saying, is very, very profound with Indigenous peoples and has produced all kinds of miracles uh, for them and really for us. And um, one of the miracles is this Awakening the Dreamer Symposium educational program, which uh, is, is really a miraculous program, and anyone who wants to take it can go to the awakeningthedreamer.org website and find a symposium near you and sign up or even sign up to be trained to lead it. But in doing the research for that and then in delivering it now, we have 3,000 facilitators, volunteer facilitators, delivering it in 16 languages in more than 40 countries which is something, you know, of course, we could be very proud of. But as you said earlier, as fast as that program is moving through the culture, as fast as many things are moving through the culture, it, 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 we need to move this dial faster, um, and we need to realize uh, and, and feel more momentum, just like you were saying. And so it's, it's, you're really right about that. So the status quo is very 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 powerful and it's moving us towards uh, a a a cliff really uh faster than the tide is turning now the tide is turning it's completely clear to me and to many experts the tide is turning and in fact in a way it has turned um, and in the ocean the tide turns very very deep at the bottom of the ocean doesn't Uh, show at the top until later. So it's like the tide has turned, but we can't see it yet. But the status quo is moving us towards an inhospitable, unsustainable, dark, violent future faster, and that future is coming at us faster than anybody wants. And the tide needs to turn faster. More people need to get on board and and work harder and, and make more changes, et cetera so we we realized this and um you know i think everybody realizes this just like just like you do you do but we wanted to see what can we do about that and write about when we were having these conversations with ourselves, almost like a little bit of a come to Jesus thing, how, how can we get the symposium to 25 million people a day instead of just a few thousand a day, et cetera, we met an extraordinary man who went to Ecuador with us and had his experience in the rainforest with Pachamama Alliance. And he is this amazing guy who's the head of the largest independent ad agency in the world, which is called Wyden and Kennedy. He's the CEO and the owner. And at the end of the experience with Pachamama in the rainforest, he said, what can I do? I want to help you guys. This is amazing work that you're doing. And we said, well, gosh, you run an ad agency. How about helping us change the dream of the modern world? That's a pretty tall order. Um, And he said, okay, let's go to work. I've been selling people things they don't need for 40 years. This will save my soul. So we went to work. And we created a media campaign to amplify, accelerate, deepen, and empower the action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we we formed it. Um, We formed a little coalition to try to figure out what is the media campaign that will do that. And right about that same time, another miracle happened. Al Gore, who uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize for really awakening the world to climate change, um, uh, did a lecture tour and said, "I've, I've just for the past three years conducted 30 solution summits around the world. And um, I've come back with the conclusion that, that we have enough solutions to solve three climate crises, but we've only got one. What's missing is the will, the commitment, the drive to implement these solutions in time because there's a window and it's going to close. And when it closes, things will be irreversible. And so that really motivated us Uh And then he also said something really beautiful. He said, the climate crisis needs to be resolved on such huge scale that that we need to work in an integrated, collaborative way like never before on Earth, which is such a gift to us. And that if we can do that, if we can create that alignment and really mobilize ourselves, we can address not only the climate crisis, but we can address all the big issues like hunger and poverty that have been languishing for centuries, the empowerment of women and girls, etc. So I started to see, my God, four years ago can really revolutionize everything and can turn the tide for humanity here at the beginning of the 21st century. And so we invented this campaign called Four Years Go, and now I'm going to explain the four-year part. Um, There's a window. No one knows how wide or long it is, after which things will become irreversible with the climate crisis. Some people say 10 years. Some people say 12. Some people say 7. Some people say 2. But we picked this number four years because we want to inspire people to create a positive tipping point before a negative cataclysm comes at us that forces change and we're at the effect, we can make the change, we can author the change, and four years is a unit of time in our psyche where we went to high school, we came in one way and went out a different way. You know a transformation is possible in 4 years because you had one. You um you know that a college is a 4-year journey. Uh the World Cup between World Cups is a 4-year journey where teams go from last place to first place. Um the um the the Olympics is a four-year journey. Um, presidential campaigns in most countries are four years. Mm-hmm. So there's something in our psyche that says we can do it in four years, and four years isn't so far away that you can't get it done. But it isn't so—it's uh, uh, long enough to get it done. But it isn't so far away that you don't get started. Mm. So we picked four years, and we invented a campaign called Four years go it's kind of like two sentences four right. years go and um it's designed to accelerate uh, amplify the action and i'm going to say one other thing about it is that one of the things that we've discovered that historians have been studying the renaissance because the renaissance was a huge tide turning moment in the history of europe and the dark ages were really really dark you know they were violent they were oppressive people were in horrendous um living in horrendous uh uh plagues and uh, life was dark and even things like um a woman who had an herb garden in the backyard uh would be burned alive at the stake as a witch which this is a really was a really dark time for the human family and we came out of it we came out of it into the enlightenment and ultimately the renaissance and the renaissance itself it turns out the historians say was fomented by really only 200 people uh they were poets scholars academicians probably people uh like you uh at that time who were thinkers innovators thought leaders And um, it was funded by one family, the Medici's, and it took about 25 years. It was only one generation. 25 years isn't very long, 25 years. And it all took place at the same time that Gutenberg invented the printing press, which was a key factor to spread the, the news, the innovation, the new thinking of the Renaissance. And that changed everything for europe and really for the rest of the world our lives would be very different had we never come out of the dark ages you can count on that
1: absolutely
2: so um that's a reference point in history now if you look at what we have we have millions of awake people we've got incredible amounts of money available to us uh We've got enough time because things move way faster. We don't need a whole generation, probably. Mm -hmm. We can probably do it in four years or shift the trajectory of the human family. And we have the internet and social media and mobile phones. We have technologies that no one could have dreamed of. Even five years ago, we couldn't have dreamed of what our, 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 our iPhone can do. So we can do this, and we can turn the tide in the next four years. 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, so we can go into 2015 with humanity on a different trajectory, not headed towards an inhospitable, unsustainable, dark, frightening, violent future. And everything won't be resolved in four years, but the trajectory will have shifted to a hospitable, sustainable, peaceful, nourishing future. And then there'll be a lot of work to do, of course. But future scenario planners now say when they do their global models of the future that we're headed for total and complete collapse in 30 years or less. We want the future scenario planners, the global modelers, the future scenario planning uh, scientists at the end of four years to say we can get there. We have a positive future that we can follow. And so that's the Four Years Go campaign. And people can go online and type in four years go, it'll take them right to the website and they should sign up as individuals, make a four years go commitment, mm. let us know what they're up to for the next four years. They can go and sign on as an organization, as a company, as a church, as a family. I'd love it if people did that right away. Or they can even sign on their mobile phone. They can do uh, dial in 404, they can text 40404, and then in the um, uh, subject line they put Um, follow 4YG and then send it and uh, a message will come back uh, telling them how to sign up and how to get to the website. So um, we want everybody in the world to sign up for four years Go and make a commitment whether you're working on hunger, poverty, soup kitchens, um, empowering women, girls, building your company, um, uh, nourishing your church, Um, make a four-years-go commitment and join the four-years-go campaign and shift that dial, accelerate the action, amplify, and then you'll start hearing the good news because we're going to flood everybody who signs up with good news so that we can hear and feel the momentum of thousands, ultimately tens of thousands, ultimately hundreds of thousands, and then millions and then billions of people turning it to
1: This is so inspiring, and, and I, I loved everything you said, and I especially love something I, I want to make sure that our listeners don't miss this. You do not have to be running a major nonprofit to go on Four Years Go and say, This is what I'm doing. You can be someone who is working hard to make sure your children have nourishing meals so they can learn well when they're in school. You can be someone who is um, simply being nice to your neighbor so that community can be powerful enough to stand and make changes. Is that right?
2: Yes, absolutely, Cheryl. That's exactly right. You can be someone who wants to lose 25 pounds uh, in four years or 50 pounds in four years so you live a healthier life and are more useful to yourself your community and ultimately the planet because everything is global and local. Yeah. Um, you know you can glocalize your action. It's, uh, Elizabeth Torres says everything's global. <laughs> and so even even <laughs> like make, even making your nursery school a little greener or um or perhaps reducing your garbage in the next 4 years there's anybody can do anything and it will turn this tide.
1: That is a wonderful message, Lynn Twist, and we are coming to the end of the show. I would love to talk to you for hours and hours more. (laughs) You have so much energy and so much inspiration for all of us. So Lynn Twist, author of The Soul of Money, Reclaiming the Wealth of Our Inner Resources, available in almost all bookstores and, of course, on Amazon, and founder of Pachamama Alliance and great inspirational leader of four years ago inspiring us all to be our best and do what we can. Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a privilege to have you. I'd like to remind all of our listeners to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. Thanks for being here today. This is Cheryl Esposito.